We wanted to start this episode by saying it is a stressful time and a scary time for all of us. We don't know what else we can say about that. We hope that listening to podcasts like ours can be a way for you to connect with other people in these times of uncertainty and social distancing. Yep, and we hope you're all safe and able to stay home too. Uh, during these difficult times, we wish you and your loved ones health. Practice kindness, solidarity, and care. Call friends and family, particularly anyone who you think might be lonely. Uh, let's not leave anyone behind. Hello and welcome to the EuropeLX podcast. I'm Ewan Healy and in this episode we'll be speaking to AsiaLX's team leader Adam Lawless and with me of course is Gabriel Hedengren. Gabriel how are you doing? I'm good thanks how are you? Yeah well keeping keeping well and staying healthy I think. Um, yeah staying inside I Yes um, I'm, I'm, I live in the UK and that we've, we've just been given the, the command yeah. to stay indoors. Um, I'm sort of most sort of mostly a lockdown uh, in the UK at the moment. Um, so I did go out this morning. It was so quiet. You can just walk in the middle of the street. There's no cars around. It's very strange. Yeah, I've been doing that as well, like uh, on my daily walk. And if you meet someone, if someone comes towards you in the street, you just step out. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to bring you as much electoral related news as we can. Um, obviously, a lot of elections have, have been delayed. And that is the first item on this week's podcast news. So... Understandably, as a result of measures to prevent the spread of COVID-19, governments across Europe have taken steps to postpone, delay or cancel elections. Um, some examples uh, are the French municipal elections, uh, the British local elections and uh, assembly elections in northern Cyprus, uh, meaning the Turkish occupied territory of the Republic of Cyprus. Um, they've all been uh, delayed for a number of months. Uh, the British elections been delayed for a year, which I think is the most of any country in Europe's delay. Also, elections in North Macedonia and Serbia have also been postponed. This leaves, obviously, for a quieter time for election nerds like us, but something wholly understandable given the circumstances. Uh, in the face of coronavirus, the canton of Schwitz in Switzerland opted to go to the polls anyway in the same way as normal, but with extra handle, of course. The headline is that the regional government of Switzerland's founding and namesake canton Schwitz remains firmly under centre-right control. Of the seven executive seats, Schwitz elected three for the Swiss People's Party, two for the Liberal Free Democratic Party, and one for the center-right Christian People's Party. Meanwhile, the seventh is up for a runoff, likely between the Christian People's Party and the center-left Social Democratic Party on the 17th of May. On the other hand, the parliamentary elections of the canton has shown a continuation of the green and green liberal winning streak in the country that we've already seen in several recent regional elections, as well as the national parliamentary election last year. The centre-right Christian People's Party and the Liberal Free Democratic Party lost a total of five seats to the centre-left Green Coalition of Social Democratic and Green Parties, as well as the Green Liberal Party. That left the Swiss People's Party with 33 out of 100 seats, which was same as before, brought the Christian People's Party down to 24, the Free Democratic Party down to 20, and the Coalition of Social Democratic and Green Parties up to 17. The Green Liberal Party were up to six. A lot of numbers there. 
In other non-electoral news, this week a big step was taken toward EU membership for two countries in the Western Balkans. European affairs ministers of the current EU27 have given their approval for the EU to begin membership accession talks with both Albania and North Macedonia. A little bit of rare good news. The Commission has also approved this move while the European Council, made up of member states, heads of governments and state, are this time expected to follow suit. In his announcement, the EU Commissioner for Enlargement, Oliver Varhelyi, said this sends a clear message to the Western Balkans, your future is in the EU. If you want to find out more about Commissioner Varhelyi, his profile can be found in our Valentine's Week episode of this very podcast. His comment, of course, comes after Serbian President Aleksandar Vucic has expressed disappointment about the European Union's lack of what he calls solidarity to Serbia in the fight against COVID-19. At the same time, he commended China's help and leadership. So there is some difference there between member states and accession candidates' attitudes towards one another. For sure. Um, so now we're going to go to Israel, where Benny Gantz, leader of the centrist Blue and White Party, has received a mandate by the Israeli president to form a government. However, his efforts have stalled significantly as the increasing spread of coronavirus has led to calls for a national unity government between his party and the conservative Likud party, which is the largest political party in the Israeli parliament uh, and led by current prime minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Any advances by Netanyahu have so far been rejected by Gantz, continuing the speculation that a fourth election may actually be upon us soon. Um, for more news about Israel, follow our sibling account, Asia Lex. Speaking of which, it's time for us to welcome our guest this week. He's also our colleague, Asia Lex team leader, Adam Lawless. Hi, Adam. Hi. How are you doing, Adam? You all right? I'm terrified. <laughs> oh, don't be. Well, don't be. This is a very friendly environment. All of our audience are lovely. I'm sure I have not met all of them, but I hope so. So, Adam, you're the team leader of Europe Elect sibling account, Asia Alex, and you're here to tell us a little bit about what it's like running the project and why everyone should follow it if they don't already. So, Adam, how did Asia Alex get started and how did you get involved? I don't exactly know how it started. I imagine it was one of Tobias's many dreams. Uh, but the way that I um, got involved was I saw an advertisement on the Europolex Twitter account asking for volunteers and experts on Asia, uh, Asian politics. So I loved the work of Europolex and went straight for it. I initially showed my involvement in the creation phase where we were sort of getting our ideas down and trying to create a brand um, by assisting in the creation of a logo. Uh, I'm terrible at graphic design, uh, but it was my attempt to show interest. And from beyond there, I started covering the um, Israeli polls and the April 2019 Israeli election. So the April 2019 Israeli election, was that the first Israeli election of the current batch? Yes, and it was my favourite way of showing my progress is looking at these Israeli elections because we've had three so far. It's quite an enjoyment for me to look back upon that time. Uh, almost a year on, I enjoy seeing the second election and then finally the third election to see the progress I've made. And I'm hoping that if there is ever a fourth election, uh, that the progress in our coverage will be shown. Do you think it's likely that there'll be a fourth election? Do you, see, do you think that's the most likely option? Uh, to be honest, not at all. Uh, I'm, I imagine I'd be quite um, unique in saying this, but currently what's going on in the Israeli parliament shows that there is some significant moves to oust by a, a law that would 
stop indicted um, MPs becoming prime minister. So moves like that could possibly lead to a government for Israel. We'll see. <laughs> so as we're speaking about Israel, I, I wanted to just ask you, just to be totally clear, where do we draw the line here between Asia and Europe? Because that's not a simple question. There's like a geographical definition of Europe, uh, you know, and then every sort of organization has their own. Eurovision has its own. World Cup has its own. <laughs> What's yeah, Europe we should definitely be covering the Australian election, elections in with Europe, Alex. Follow the yeah. Eurovision example. So where where do we draw the line, Adam? Europe, as defined by Europolex, is whoever is a member of the Council of Europe. So some may classify Turkey as an Asian country, but because of the fact it's a member of the Council of Europe, it gets designated to Europolex. However, Asiaolex gets the joy of retweeting that content because sometimes we feel like people's geographic uh, definitions should ensure they still see the coverage. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And and sorry to slightly clarify you there, but Europolex covers the Council of Europe plus the two European countries that aren't a member of the Council of Europe, which are Belarus and the Vatican City. Um, we can never, yeah, we should never forget the Vatican yeah. City. Never forget the Vatican City and uh, Europe's last dictatorship. Um, so, Adam, <laughs> what, what unique challenges do you think that Asiaolex faces that Europolex perhaps doesn't face uh, in the same way? The biggest issue I find is the amount of authoritarian countries. And because of that, we have less transparency on elections. So when eventually they do arrive, the work of Asia elects to ensure we are telling people a lot of this may be not the true expression of people. Uh, we need to ensure a lot of the time that these things are clear. Um, and that's something that Europolex sometimes has to deal with, as in the case of Russia or Belarus, but it's a lot more common. Um, with Asiaolex. And another issue with that is there is less polling. So one of the jokes we used to have when Asiaolex first got started was that it was Israelolex because Israel is one of the few countries in, in Asia which has continuous polling, mainly because of the constant number of elections they've been having. So that leads to a few issues in itself. And another issue I think we've found is how to cover um, protest movements, so things that aren't specifically elections or polling related, but to ensure that people are seeing fights for democracy and trying to extend the coverage that Europolex would never usually touch upon. That's um, really interesting, I suppose, the, the protest thing, because obviously freedom of association and freedom of um, protest, something that's so common across um, European countries, obviously there are exceptions, but it's, it's, it's a very common thing. Whereas obviously there are, um, you know, a lot of countries across across Asia where that is a, a much less common thing. And I think we've seen that through uh, your coverage of the Hong Kong protests um, in the last 12 months, and as well as those in Lebanon as well. In fact, it created a sort of beautiful narrative when we were covering the Hong Kong protests, because you saw this fight for democracy continue on until the first chance they had to express it at the ballot box. And then you see an overwhelming victory for the pro-democracy camp. So it does create some very unique moments that I really enjoy. So we've already touched upon a, a few of the more recent political events and happenings in Asia, but I wanted to ask you what 
the biggest political news story um, that you've covered is from the last year. Uh, and is there any story you think our European listeners are likely to have missed? This is going back to November 2019, where in Sri Lanka, a presidential election saw the rise to power of Gotabaya Rajapaksa. He is an important figure because he was the defense minister during a genocide against the minority Tamil population of Sri Lanka in 2009. And now this is quite insane to imagine this happening anywhere in Europe or in fact the world. You have this guy who ordered genocidal shellings of government designated safe zones and has caused the displacement of hundreds of thousands being elected into a position where he gets to make very important decisions over the lives of these minorities. So let's just tap into that a little bit. Why has that taken place? Is it a lack of democracy in Sri Lanka or is there something else going on? Uh, so it's a, it's a play into people's fears of terrorism. So um, there was a very major um, issue where the government of Sri Lanka weren't responding effectively to multiple terrorist attacks by Islamists, to which uh, Rajapaksa took this as a sign for his time to shine, uh, essentially, and called upon more national security. So in a way, he played into the majority's fear of these uh, terrorist concerns and sort of used those as a way to get into power. That's depressingly classic, isn't it? It's quite depressing because you see this overwhelming voter turnout in the Tamil and Muslim-dominated Northeast, um, a record of over 70%. But still, this action of these minorities still aren't overwhelming the system enough. So you still have these figures who play into these fears getting into power. So, uh, Adam, looking ahead into 2020, what schedule Asian election are you most excited for? I, I mean, I assume just like in Europe, it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. But is there anything that's planned that you're looking forward to? It is most definitely the Hong Kong legislative election in September 2020. I'm really looking forward to seeing the if the pro-democracy protest movements can continue on into a role which can make a significant change. So one of the major tools of the uh, council is that they can impeach the chief executive, uh, that being Carrie Lam at the moment. No matter how well the pro-democracy movements do, there is quite a sad fact in that it needs a two-thirds majority. And the way that the election works in Hong Kong is it means that only half of the seats are directly elected and the other half are sort of chosen by business groups meaning that they are sort of more controlled by mainland china okay so even though there was an overwhelming pro-democracy movement in the local elections last year which you know obviously came at the same time as the protest movement so there was a lot of momentum there there's a pro-democracy um campaigners won um countless seats um, up at, you know, looking up towards 80 or 90% of seats there, which was really exciting um, on the pro-democracy side of things. You're saying that actually that will struggle to translate through because of Chinese influence. Most definitely. The system of electing this body, which actually can make the most difference, is a lot less democratic than the directly elected uh, councillors that we saw last year. 
And do you think the momentum will carry on in the same way, will stay at the same level? That's one that a lot of people all over the world have been really looking closely at. Um, I do believe that this momentum will continue through. The biggest issue at the moment, as it always seems, is the coronavirus and the response by mainland China by a lot within Hong Kong is seen to be lacking. You had hospital staff going on strike in the region just a few months ago. So really, if that will translate into a pro-democracy movement, which will translate to the ballot box, I believe it will. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Um, do you have any last words to tell people why they should follow Asia Lex if they don't already? We cover a lot of different things that Europe Lex may not touch upon. Obviously, it's for Asia specifically, but there is a lot you can gain out of following it and a lot you can learn that you wouldn't traditionally hear in a lot of mainstream news outlets. So you hear, heard it here first. Asia Alex is better than Europe Alex. I'm not sure I agree with myself when I say that, but it is good. <laughs> and you can find them on social media uh, at Asia Alex on Twitter, Asia underscore Alex on Instagram. And of course, find Asia Alex on Facebook. Thanks so much for coming on, Adam. Thank you, no Adam. Bye. Now it's time for our recurring segment, Who is Who, where you and I pick one European commissioner each and teach you about them. So, you and this week, I had the pleasure of pulling Franz Timmermans' name out the hat. So, he is the commissioner for the European Green Deal and leads the EU's work towards its first European climate law, which is to enshrine the 2050 climate neutrality target into EU law. He's also coordinating work on the Commission's zero pollution ambition and is in charge of uh, progressing on the circular economy and the farm-to-fork strategy for sustainable food um, across the EU. So a bit about his background, he's a Dutch Labour Party politician and was elected into the country's parliament for the first time in 1998 after having a very successful diplomatic career in the country's foreign affairs ministry, uh, as well as in the EU, where he worked under two Dutch commissioners in the mid-1990s. In 2012, he was appointed Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, a position he held for just two years before joining the EU Commission in 2014. Mm. In 2019, Timmermans was a Social Democratic Parliamentary Party Group's candidate for president of the Commission. Uh, but as I'm sure you will all know, he lost to Ursula von der Leyen, and he's also the executive vice president and the first vice president of the Commission, meaning he takes on the role of president in her absence. So he's the number two of the Commission, in other words. He's also the only European commissioner to share a surname with the name of a beer, I think. There might be another one, but I think he's the only one. Timmermans oh. beer, anyway. Currently or ever? I don't know about ever, but right now he definitely is the only one, I think. I believe you. I believe that. Yeah. It's dangerous to believe what I say, but okay. <laughs> Speaking of me saying things, uh, the, the commissioner I drew out of the hat is uh, a friend from Estonia, uh, Kadri Simpson. Uh, Kadri Simpson is the uh, EU Commissioner for Energy. Um, she is at home a member of the Centre Party, uh, which is a part of the Liberal Renew Group in the European Parliament. As Commissioner for Energy, she is tasked with making sure Europeans have access to affordable, secure, reliable and clean energy. She also contributes to the design and implementation of the new Just Transition Fund, making sure it provides targeted support to industrial, coal and energy intensive regions, as well as supporting islands. She actually reports to the commissioner we've just mentioned, Franz Timmermans, um, with her work being integral, of course, to the EU's Green Deal. Simpson was the chair 
of the Centre Party in the Estonian Parliament from 2009 to 2016. And in 2015, she unsuccessfully vied for the role of party leader. A year later, however, she was appointed Minister of Economic Affairs and Infrastructure, a position she held for three years. Thank you for listening to the Europe Alex podcast. If you like what we do, which we hope you do, subscribe and renew this podcast and, of course, tell people about us. Also, to stay up to date with European politics, make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. You can find us at europeelects.eu and at europeelects across all social media, um, except Instagram, that is, where it's at europe underscore elects. Um, see you next time and uh, stay home, stay inside and stay safe. You've been listening to the Europe Elects podcast hosted by me, Ewan Healy and Gabriel Hedengrun. The managing editor was Polychronos Karepoulos. The producer and audio engineers were Raphael Peña-Rios and Leon Liesener. The script was written by our host and Matthew Nicholson. And the music was by Jose Alvarado. <laughs>